This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Green and White, brought to you by Argyle Life. Retweeted by Paul Chuckle, you'll never sing that. In the week that Dawn French publicly ruled herself out of the Papa John scooter race, Woody thrust himself full throttle into the role by fueling rumours that he would be wheelie up for it. All while sellout number 12 of the season saw massive club chart and athletic visit home park, only for Dean Holden's massive side to leave with nothing against tiny little Plymouth meaning that it's now over seven and a half hours since they've found the net. Joining me on St Piran's Day to discuss that win are the usual trio. Joe Bell, good week. Prano Boss Viking. I think that's Cornish for something or other. But yes, good week. Thank you. Sam Down, how are you? Not too bad. A little bit hangover, but otherwise, otherwise fine. Nothing new there then? Absolutely not. Of course. John Alsop, all good? There we go. Brilliant. Playing this in tribute to uh, Aaron Hocking, our host, who ran a half marathon today before oh, coming on the pod. Um, Aaron, I think you needed some degree of praise for that. So I'm doing it in the form of a musical tribute. Yeah, brilliant. I am knackered, to be fair. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right, thanks. Before we do get underway, I do want to give a little shout out to Archie, an avid listener and an Argyle fan who travelled all the way over from Leipzig to Plymouth for the win. Big up. And also because he asked us a question and I didn't manage to get it in, so... As always, let's go chronologically with the questions. But before we get into that, who wants to give us a brief rundown of this week's game? Uh, yeah, seeing as I tore into the Peterborough performance, I, it's only fair that I, I, I'm the first to praise we put in a good performance. And that was a very good performance indeed. We totally controlled Charlton for minute to one to minute 90. They never really looked like threatening us. Our defence barely gave them a, barely allowed them a single shot on target, completely controlled the midfield. And we scored two very good goals. So it's really, what more can you ask for? Uh, if I was a little critical, anything, I think maybe the first half, the final war wasn't quite there, but you could still see we were clearly the best side on the day by a considerable margin. Um, over the 90 up there with the best we played in a long time. Yeah, it was a, a rare home game that I attended. Um, I go mostly away. And, and I thought it was the best performance I have personally seen us put in this season. I would caveat that by saying that I've managed to miss most of our away victories. I only saw the ones at Oxford and MK Dons, who I thought were both subpar opponents. Not that we didn't play well in those games. 
Um, and the home games I, I went to before yesterday was Shrewsbury and Exeter. Shrewsbury, I think, was a bit of a, a tough one. Didn't play especially well. And Exeter was a great night, but obviously a bit ropey defensively at times. Um, so, so yeah, with, with that caveat aside, I thought yesterday was the best that I've seen us play in the flesh this season. I thought we bossed the game from minute one to minute 90 against a team who are probably in a false league position in terms, you know, if you look at the quality they have in their squad, although performances like yesterday's might be a reason that they're in a false league position a little bit. Um, but we, we played them off the park. Um, the only criticism I would have to, to echo Sam somewhat is that I think we're a bit hesitant with our, just our kind of killer instincts and final balls and finishes in the first half. And also a little bit in the second Um and I was sort of thinking at 1-0 when Charlton had that sort of 10 minutes of coming back into the game a bit that we might live to to kick ourselves for some of those missed opportunities. Um, but yeah, um, altogether, a thoroughly, thoroughly deserved win, a fluid performance. Um, and I think great mentality to bounce back from what was our worst performance of, of the season last week with one of our best. Yeah, not much more to add to that, really. Um, I thought Charlton were very poor in front of goal, just very poor all over the pitch, really. Um, as John says on paper, they should have a much better side than what they are performing, the levels that they're performing at. I thought, I go back to what I've said for a couple of weeks now that, you know, I, I'm always more worried if we aren't creating chances and we created yet another bucket for this weekend. I wasn't at the game, so I've had the benefit of watching it back this morning on Argyle TV. And yeah, at times you were left thinking, this is the Argyle of September and October. Um, at various points. There were parts of the afternoon where it wasn't as straightforward as perhaps the scoreline suggests, um, where we just maybe had periods where we allowed Charlton into the game. But overall, I think if we're looking at a response from a dreadful performance last weekend, um, we pretty much ticked every box this weekend. Careful, Joe. They might be um, looking at your parole, calling it a dreadful performance uh, last weekend. Oh, I think we're all we're all out of jail now. Some of us were never in jail. We'll go through this chronologically. Obviously, we'll start with the changes first. Obviously, five changes to the starting lineup, and not a single January signing starting. Do we think that's that that maybe frosting five straight into the squad unbalanced things in previous games, and we've just gone back to basics a little bit? I think back to basics. That's the word the words I'd use. Yeah, I think that was a after experimenting with different formations and different players. That was very much back to the team that got us. Um, doing really well in the first half of the season, um, e- even to the point of Houghton and Butcher in midfield. But I think Matete's generally been very good. It was uh, Houghton and Butcher playing was, was more in line with the team that, that got us to where we are top of the league. Um, Galloway came back in. He did very well after being out of the team a long time. Um, Gillespie will come to him um, in, a, in a minute, but he was excellent. Uh, and I think Mayer was a little quiet, but he, he did the job. And his answer was very good. And, and Hardy was, Hardy was, well, he, goodness knows how he didn't get a second, but he was mostly very good. He had that absolutely brilliant goal that he made and finished all by himself, which was one of the finest bits of skill I've seen from an Argyle player uh, all season. Like I think like Aaron said, if you thought we could have our own personal goal this season uh, competition, and there'd be about 10 valid entries and that would, would definitely be one of them. So, yeah, can't fault the, the back-to-basics approach. And I think now the lesson to be learned is Yes, yeah, still do a bit of rotation, you know. I'm sure Galloway won't, won't play. On That was Brendan Galloway coming coming to Sam's house to silence him. We'll stay with the first half um, just for now. Not much else happened, but some might call it a contentious refereeing decision. Yes. Um, James Wilson was sent off for similar in the reverse fixture. Joe, do you care to elaborate? Oh, it's It's been a few weeks since I've had one of these, isn't it? 
Um, everyone at home's prepared for this. Um, I should sort of start this rant by saying that for years now, I've always had a little mark next to the name Andy Woolmer of Northamptonshire. <laughs> who I distinctly remember from an Oxford game a few years ago where I genuinely felt cheated at a football match, um, but that's something else. So I've always always had a sharp intake of breath when I've seen him appointed to an Argo game. And of course, we shouldn't remember, we shouldn't forget that he was also the man who gave a penalty um, against Argo at Lincoln last year that was a good yard and a half outside the penalty area um, that saw Ryan Lowe get fined, I believe, by the Football Association for his comments. Um so he does have previous in this. Uh, yeah, it's handball, isn't it? Like, I, I don't understand how... If I could sort of get that Andy Woolmer hasn't picked it up, because if you look at the angle from behind the goal, there is a defender sort of impeding his view. But you've got a linesman who should be on the halfway line who won't be impeded. You've got enough of it, You've got enough people in that ground who all in unison appealed for handball. The players went up straight away. Look at the Charlton players' reactions. All over the park, they all knew. They expected him to blow the whistle and point at the penalty spot. There's there's no mitigation for him not to give the penalty. It's a clear handball. It's then a red card because it's a denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. And look, we could be talking about this game in a total different sense if that happens. Because as you say... James Wilson was sent off for a very similar thing. I actually think James Wilson was sent off for less than what Michael Hector did on Saturday, personally, um, back at the Valley. And we saw what happened in the second half there. Um, but it wasn't just this decision. I thought, watching it back this morning, Mr. Woolmer had a very, very poor day at the office. There were so many decisions that he missed. His his picking up of fouls was inept at times. Um, he, he hasn't helped himself in that respect. And... I, I sort of said it weeks ago when we had a predominantly championship-based referee coming down. It worries me that we always think the standard of League 1, League 2 is bad, but I haven't seen a single championship referee do an Argo game this year that I've been impressed with, and that doesn't bode well if we are to get promoted. But that's my mini rant over on this subject anyway. I'm sure there'll be another rant coming a little bit later on. you got to give Hector some credit for managing that save, though. Impressive. It's a good save, yeah. He's, I mean, he's got to it well, really. Um, he's done a lot better than the keeper did, actually, in stopping Hardy in the first place. Yeah, very true. Uh, Sam's rejoined us, which is always good to see. And- yeah, sorry I was talking away whilst you were talking. Just quickly jumping in to give our appreciation to Terrace Apparel, who have teamed up with us to give away a free Argyle t-shirt. Check out our Twitter, where we're doing a little giveaway. Uh, go follow them, tag two friends, and you can win a T-shirt of your choice in whatever size you like. And, yeah, they're great. They're brilliant quality. Uh, great T-shirts. Go check them out. Go give them a follow. And uh, go and join our giveaway. Not much else, really, of note to talk about in the first half. But obviously, nine seconds is all it took for our own number nine on his 150th appearance. For the club as Ryan Hardy opened the scoring following his relentless pressing. He finished with his trademark hot dog scoop. How impressive has he been for us in his 150 appearances and, and surely a Scotland call-up isn't that far away? I know he's been talking about it to press recently. I think he, I, I think he's certainly been a very good player for us I've, I, without a shadow of a doubt. And I think whatever happened in the summer, if he stays or if he goes, he'll, he'll be remembered as being a, 
a player who served as well for, for a very long length of time. Um, Scotland call up, I don't know. I feel that maybe it could happen, but I, I feel that at, at his age, they've they've probably missed the boat. He's probably missed the boat, and they've probably got players ahead on ahead of him. I would he's say. only competing with like Lyndon Dykes, though. Sure, like. Yeah, but he's a good championship level striker. And I know that Hardy's still had a very good season in League One, but I think I may, look, maybe if, if we go up to the championship or or if he goes to the championship to another club and, and he starts scoring goals with that regularity in the championship, I think there would be that conversation to be had. I think whilst he's doing it in League One, I I struggle to see him being called up for Scotland uh this season. But you never know, it could happen. I just look, if if he was getting the goals doing and playing the way he's playing at 19 or 20, 21. Absolutely, because they'd get him in as, a, as, a, as an investment to, to the future, you know, to invest in coaching him and 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 kind of implementing him into the Scotland system long term. At the was he twenty five, twenty six? Now I think at that at that age, um, they would probably want to see championship uh, form sustained before they throw him in. Maybe I'm wrong. I've just got two things I want to say on this. Uh, number one, I thought his touch when he brings the ball out of the sky is absolutely phenomenal. Um, I think that that makes it what it is and number two I distinctly remember coming on the podcast in and around the Christmas period where Hardy was getting slated from all angles from our support saying that he misses key chances and he shouldn't be coming forward with us look the bloke scored as many goals as he has he's given us some priceless moments as Argyle fans I will forever be indebted to him for the 93rd minute winner whatever it was at Salford on a Tuesday night you know, long may his career at Argo continue. And I also think, whilst we're on that subject, that the backlash that came out of the Schumacher comments the other week about Hardy's contract situation on Twitter were completely and utterly absurd. And anyone who thinks that Hardy is needs to show some sort of loyalty towards Argo regarding his career needs to give their heads a wobble. If he's got a chance to play in the championship next year, if Argo don't make it, good luck to him. Why are we going to criticise him for it? He wants to further his career. That's all he should ever want to do in any oh, walk of life. So I just, that's my piece Oxford said on that think as well. he's going there, so. Yeah, good good luck to them with that. That's such hilarious that they think he's going there. Um, uh, Yeah, I mean, I mean they, they could even be in League Two for one, but even if they're in League One, he, I certainly can't see him going there. Um, I Yeah, look, I, I agree with most of what Joe said. I think he, for someone who... Who it has been our top scorer now for what surely will be two seasons in a row. He doesn't really get spoken about as one of our best players, and I think that it's probably because he does have some frustrating moments where he, where he misses a chance he should score, and I think that does lead the fans to to get on his back maybe a bit more a bit more than than they should. Um, and I, I think what you've got to look at overall is that at this level, uh, goals are goals are are, are an absolute. You know, he's going to sound like like a. Or, like a cliche, goals goals are a big thing in football, of course they are. But I think at this level, goals can can cover flaws in, in other areas of your game far more than they can in the championship or in the Premier League because it, it's it's the it's the real fine margin. It's that little bit of quality that he can just create something out of nothing. And that's exactly what he did yesterday. Yes, you can you can moan about that he doesn't hold the ball up too well, that he misses some key chances. But when somebody at this level scores 16 goals, well, you know, not all of them in the league, but he scored 16 goals by March. Every chance he ends season on twenty, that that player is uh, is undoubtedly a good player to have at this level, and I completely agree with Joe on the contract. Like it's kind of like what I said about Cooper, football players will do what's best for them. They, they they're not going to think about the club, and nor would they, because if we suddenly, if Ryan Hardy suddenly went six months without a goal, and we had a chance to sign a striker, would we show loyalty to him? No, we wouldn't. So why should he show loyalty to us? I agree with that point entirely. I think 
anybody who really gives a damn about loyalty in football is probably living in sort of Alice in Wonderland, really. It doesn't happen. It is a self-serving business. And anyone who's worked in football and anyone who's, you know, even known anyone who's worked in football will tell you it's a completely self-serving business. And that's just the reality of it, I think. And according to Green's on screen, he's finally overtaken Luke Jeffcott's goal per game ratio, which is always good. John, let's hear a, a minute or two from you. Obviously, Niall Ennis back among the minutes and back on the score sheets. Obviously, great to see. But another Callum Wright assist. Would you say that he's been our best January permanent signing so far? Yeah, I'm trying to think back through all the, the permanent January signings that we've had. Yeah, I'd say so. I don't necessarily think that that's a desperately high bar. I don't think, I'm not saying that to sort of slate any of the January signings, but I think they are players who've been signed probably with an eye towards the future more than the present. I, I don't think any of us are massively surprised, for example, that Ben Wayne hasn't had a, a huge immediate impact. For example, we haven't seen really anything much of him in recent weeks. Um, ditto uh, Tyreek Wright, um, which, which leaves Early and, and Callum Wright, of course. Um, and Early has had um, one positive performance in my book at Oxford, one negative performance on the whole at Peterborough. It looked pretty assured when he came on. So, so Callum, sorry, on Saturday, so but, but, but only came on for about five minutes or so of the game. So Callum Wright is really the only one who's had, I would say, a significant run in the team and a significant impact. Um, he's a player who I can personally find a bit frustrating at times. And I think, as I said on the pod last week, I, I consider Azaz and Mayer to be our best starters in that behind the striker role and I think Saturday really showed why I thought we looked a lot more dangerous with those two there from the start than we did with Wright against um against uh, Peterborough last weekend but um you know he's somebody who's already got a pretty good goals and assists um stats for us uh Callum Wright that is um and I think he's somebody who is a huge asset to be able to bring on in games when they're a bit stretched um because he's got pace because he's got a bit of trickery uh, and I think that's what that's what happened on on Saturday you know his, his assist came from a counter-attack where Joe Edwards, who ran faster than I've ever seen him run in his life on, on Saturday, looked like a man absolutely possessed, um, would have given Aaron a, a good go in the half-marathon stakes, I think. Uh, so, but yeah, Edwards sprinting down the right, slipping in Callum Wright, who then had a lot of time to pick out Niall Ennis. I mean, that that's a goal that we, we would not have scored earlier in the game because Charlton would have, wouldn't have committed so many men forward. So I think for exploiting situations like that, he's undoubtedly... Um, a really, really good player to have. And I, I think Saturday, something that was so pleasing about it, um, you know, in addition to really everyone on the pitch playing well, was that I think, I don't necessarily think I agree to say that the new signings have destabilised us or whatever words you used at the beginning of the podcast, or, or indeed, I don't, I don't really think we've gone back to basics either necessarily. But for me, that is how we play when we're at our best and we try and make teams adapt to us rather than sort of, tinkering with the lineup too much and, and trying to adapt to what we think other teams are going to do. I said last week, and I said before on the pod, I think that, that my big criticism of Shui's rotation is that he is almost too respectful to other teams sometimes. Um, and I think that's, that's not, um, that's a comment I think that stands, but regardless of results in games, I think it's been something that he's, he's had a problem with all season. Saturday to my mind was our best system, our best 11 players who were available. Each rhythm and tempo of the game, we never let them, really getting with a, a chance um and so yeah um but but then you do have Callum Wright who can come on and, and be a real bonus scampering around and exploiting space in those games that are kind of stretched for me that that was kind of a perfect example of what we should be looking to do between now and the end of the season sort of stretch teams a bit like putty with with our creative passing in the final third and then when teams are chasing the game against us after we've ideally scored bring on Callum Wright or someone to 
to exploit the space with a bit of pace, pace and freshness. That worked brilliantly on Saturday. I do just want to mention, by the way, I thought Finazaz, after maybe a couple of indifferent performances uh, after, after coming back from injury, was utterly outstanding on Saturday. I think there were three that I counted through balls in the first half for Ryan Hardy, each of which was absolutely exquisite and that and no one else at the club would have had the vision or the technical deftness to be able to play. Um just three absolutely outstanding through balls. The man is a serious, serious player at this level. And I think he reminded everyone of that um, on, on Saturday. And yeah, that was really great to see as well. Exquisite. I'm glad you can all remember what you said on previous pods because I can't. So that's good. With Charlton not managing a single shot on target, it's hard to judge any improvement. But surely a clean sheet does Burton's confidence the world of good? Yeah, I'm sure Joe will have a vindicated moment in a minute. Um, so I want to get in there and say I thought Callum Burton was really good on Saturday. Um, and I think that was exactly the right sort of sort of response from him. With with the huge caveat that he didn't really have anything to do, as you just kind of intimated, Aaron. I thought it was, and I'm aware that, you know, say this is somebody who criticised Burton on the pod last week and, and stands by everything I said on the pod last week, but actually in the ground, I thought fans were very, very quick to get on his back for moments where they felt he should have been distributing the ball faster. It, almost like one second that he was holding the ball and then fans would start moaning that he hadn't um, sprayed it out or bowled it out. Um, for me, I think just because he is a bit less good at that than Michael Cooper, uh, to, to, to use an under, understatement there, um, I really don't mind him sort of taking a couple more seconds and just making sure he gets the basics right and distributes out cleanly rather than, you know, trying to do things that, that are really technically really, really difficult. So I, I didn't really have a problem with that at all. I don't think he really slowed our game down particularly. Um, I thought he looked really assured. And there was one really nice moment uh, in the second half where a Charlton player was chasing a ball over the top and he, he had a really nice starting position high out of his goal and was able to get there first and and kick it upfield and, and I think started a counter-attack for us, although that was probably more just luck as to where the ball landed than than a sort of guided pass. But, but yeah, he, he did really well. I still have very, very big question marks about him. I still stand by everything I said last week as being what I felt at the time. But again, another really pleasing thing is I think that is a guide to how you win games with, with Callum Burton in goal. Because the reason he had nothing to do is because the defence in front of him, and I think, well, again, as Sam mentioned, we'll get onto this, the defence in front of him were absolutely outstanding. He had nothing to do because the defence were flawless, I thought, and all close to it. And so, yeah, he did what he had to do very well in terms of mopping up and, and that one incident. But he didn't have a save to make, and that's and that's a credit to the whole team for protecting him. So yeah, just another really pleasing facet of, of Saturday's game, I think. And Joe is itching. To, Joe, the defence lawyer for Callum Burton, is itching to get in. The the parole board grant you a week's freedom from podcast jail. So well done. Thank you, Your Honour. You've obviously preempted my next question, which is about the defence. But before we get in there, it's incredible. Maybe fickle isn't the right word. You know, to go from. The first 10 minutes of Peterborough away where, where there's literally a champ calling him Super Callum Burton to fans getting on his back because he's not bowling the ball out quick enough in the space of 180 minutes is incredible. I thought it was a bit weird. Um, like, I, I don't really see... I, I think there is a difference between the way he's treated by fans in the ground and people like us who are trying to analyse the game, making comments about him in a reflective manner on a, on a podcast after the game. Um, I'm not saying that, like, fans should uncritically you know gm up or anything like it can't be good for his confidence to have the whole devonport end sort of you know for fuck's saking at him when he's really not doing anything that is wrong in my opinion i just thought it was 
Especially in a game so, where we, you know, yeah. for the second half, for, the, for all of the second half, pretty much were, were one up. So sorry to muddy the waters even more, and and maybe this is just me, me sort of um, uh, projecting my own views onto somebody else. I thought they were getting frustrated at some of the outfielders not giving them enough options because that's what I was doing. I, I, I a couple of times I sort of stood up and said, "Come on, somebody give him, somebody give him an option." And so may, I, I kind of thought that the people mo- moaning were kind of with me moaning it at the outfielders for not giving them an option those couple of times. But may, I don't know, maybe our fans aren't that clever, all of them. And then maybe they were just moaning at him. Who knows? That's not that's not my understanding from speaking to a couple of other fans who were frustrated with his distribution. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Well, in, in that, if that's the case, I disagree with, with the people who were moaning at him. For I'm that. told there were instances where, where Mumba was showing down the left wing and in space and, and didn't receive the ball. As quickly as those fans uh, were playing. so yeah, I thought I thought that was uh, that incident. Mumba wasn't in a great position to receive the ball. He was a uh, he was a bit too close to the touchline, and he's not really someone who who's tall enough to kind of win the ball and, and bring it down. I think if you thrown it out to Mumba there, uh, there's every chance it would have gone out for a throw. And so I'm com- I if it's the incident I think that you're referring to, um, I, I I'm comfortable with him not um, throwing it out to Mumba there because I think Mumba wasn't in a great starting position to receive the ball. Uh, yeah, Burton had a good game, not tested, but what, what he was tested on, he did well. That sliding that sliding challenge was very good. Um, and, and that's, I think, the first, uh, obviously apart from the penalties, in open play, the first real moment where I thought that's that's not just, you know, doing the basics well. That's a genuinely very impressive piece of goalkeeping. Um, and, and let's hope I see many more of them. But let's hope I don't actually have to, because let's hope we keep playing as well as we did. And the defence were fantastic, absolutely. Is this is this the same fickleness, Aaron, that you're referring to with the people who were slagging Ryan Hardy off every week for missing chances, who would then have been stood there singing Ryan Hardy's on fire last night to freed from desire at full time? Is that the same fickleness we're referring to here? No, no, no. I, I, I want to pull up Sam, the, the leader of the Denport End, calling fans less clever. That was a that was a tongue in cheek comment before it get before that before that gets clipped out of context and put on Twitter. That was a tongue in cheek comment. I want to make that clear. The parole board denies his access from jail for one week. Oh dear, well, that's disappointing. But uh, let let let's 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 move on very rapidly so we can all agree on which is that the the defence were excellent. And um, I, I I don't know if any of you saw tweets from me, Aaron. I think you were going to mention it. I'm literally going to mention it. Right, you go on. Front of Burton, we saw a change in that. Galloway replaced Lombike. But one player I don't think we've given enough credit for is obviously Macca. Um, Sam, I saw your tweet, as you've as you've mentioned, that you consider Macaulay Gillespie in the running for player of the season. Maybe you should take this one. Yeah, I I I I do. Um I I think when you um work it out, you've got you've got to think who are, who are the options, who have been our our players who put in the most consistently excellent level of performance. And I think for me, because as great as that has been, he has been a bit hot and cold. The three names that really come to mind are Mike Cooper, obviously, uh, Dan Scar, and, and Morgan Whitaker. And I think you, with the possible exception of Scar, I don't think you can really give it to even those two because, because they've missed so much football. Cooper missed just under half a season with his injury. Whitaker's missed. Uh, just well, obviously missed pretty much exactly half the season being recalled, so you can't really give it to someone who's not been there in the business then. And Scar has had two fairly lengthy injuries, and obviously the three game suspension, he's missed quite a lot of minutes. So I think you have to give it to somebody who's who's played more minutes than those three, and I think somebody who's 
maybe not been quite on the level of that three, but had nonetheless been absolutely excellent and has really grown into a leader and grown into a fantastic player as the season's progressed. For me, that's McCauley Gillespie. And I think if I had to vote right now, he'd be my player of the season, for sure. I think he's, he's strong in the air. He's um plays the ball out better than any central defender I can remember in a very long time. Uh, his targeted balls over the top and his balls through the middle are fantastic. Uh, he, he's aware. He very rarely loses one-on-one duels with, with attacking players. He's just increasingly looking to be, certainly the last month or two, everything you want a centre-back to be. Uh, and for that reason, I think he's my, he was my man of the match yesterday and he's my current candidate for player of the season. Yeah, personally, I thought he was robbed for the player of the month for February, but I just like that every time I see him, he's just that like 1% better. It's not a rapid rise to, to being such a good player. It's You obviously come in, he had that, that period, obviously adapting from back from Australia, which I'm sure Ben Wayne's going through, or New Zealand, whatever. But like, if we can see that one percent rise in Ben Wayne every every time he gets an appearance, it'll be fantastic as well. But I think I think Mac has been, and, and I call him by his nickname because he obviously follows me on Instagram. Yeah, I just I love the bloke. I love the bloke. I didn't really understand the hate when we first signed him. Obviously, the goal at Chelsea did him the world of good. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yeah, uh, well, hate would be a strong word, but speaking as someone who was Gillespie sceptical when we signed him, um, I think I remember coming out of the uh, New York Stadium on the first day of um, last season and saying to Sam, we seem to have signed a centre-back who can't pass the ball to play in a in a system that passes out from the back. We're in big trouble. Do you want to say the other thing you said about Gillespie that day, John? Uh, I genuinely can't remember, but I'm going to say probably not. You said that he would go down as a complete flop signing and would play less than 10 games for Argyle. I just need to recall you saying about Gillespie after that day. To, to which I believe I said... To which I believe I said, yes, he was very poor today, but it's just one game. And I'm glad I did say that. I probably I probably said fewer than 10 games, not not less than. But I know you think I'm stupid. <laughs> think, yeah, yeah. stupid, Sam. But no, that was that was a stupid take, uh, definitely. He, he is someone who I think is certainly since then the most improved of any player in our squad. With, with the exception of Peaceborough last week where everyone was terrible, he is unbelievably reliable. Um, I thought it was really great to see him in the centre of that back three. He's by far the most convincing replacement for Scar that we've had in that in that back three, uh, at the centre of it, in my opinion. Um, and yesterday, I thought he was close to a 10 out of 10, uh, which I do not give out lightly in my in my match ratings. And, and because I don't give it out lightly, I wouldn't quite give it to him yesterday. I think you have to really sort of do something particularly outstanding. A 10 out of 10 performance for reference, for example, would be would be Coop, Michael Cooper at Crington in that game. We won 1-0 in the, in the COVID season where he just made sort of five or six absolutely unreal world-class saves. Do you reckon Chris Errington gave him a 10? Probably, yeah. Uh, but he's, he's definitely he's a solid Chris Errington 12 out of 10 for yesterday's performance, I thought. Um, yeah, just won everything in the air. 
was positionally immaculate, no no pun intended on his on his nickname there. Um and passed the ball out of defense really well. There was one absolutely exquisite pass that he played over the top, I think, for Hardy into into the channel that was just absolutely gorgeous in the second half. Um the man is a serious footballer and, and I think, you know, I will cop to have uh, to, to having had conversations with a number of uh, Argyle fans in recent weeks about as much as it might be premature, which of our squad we would see thriving or merely being good enough in the championship. And I probably am a bit bearish on that and have a number where I have question marks about how good they'll be in the second tier, including actually Ryan Hardy to, to sort of retrospect, yeah, retroactively weigh in on the earlier conversation, but I won't, won't reignite that one. Um, but, but Macaulay Gillespie, I think is a championship player. Now uh, I have no, no question marks in my head that if he can stay fit, um, he is a ever-present championship quality player, in my opinion. Uh, and I thought he was absolutely terrific yesterday. And it's great to see him. Great to see him playing so well. And, and I think he does not does not get the praise he he often deserves. Uh, so, yeah, I will I will say if you're listening, uh, Maka, you might be based on your Instagram follows. Keep at it, and yeah, should never have doubted you. First, sorry on the pod from John. I like it. Restorative justice, I think it's called in, in, in the current climate. Obviously, you touched on it there, John, about championship quality. Obviously, the next two games could be potentially season-defining, obviously, as we face up against Derby and Barnsley. But after that, nine of our last ten games are against sides currently in the bottom half of the table. If we can beat the Rams and the Tykes, does promotion start to feel like a formality? I certainly wouldn't say it's a formality, not not until we're <laughs> at least 10 points clear. Um, to, be, to be clear, Sam doesn't think we're going up automatically, so of course he doesn't. If, if we beat Derby and Barnsley, that's, there's, no way we should, there's no way we should be doing anything but going up from there. So I, then it look, starts to look like a formality. <laughs> well, no, because strange things happen in football, don't they? But, but look, yes. I I think the thing is I think that again I'm getting a bit philosophical for the podcast here. The, the the thing I have about I think with with football is that people don't really talk enough in the language of probabilities. I think uh, football fans can sometimes tend to veer from this is definitely happening to the others definitely happening. And I I think if you look at what how how people make um, great money on, on on betting and then through data analysis, it's it's from understanding. The language of probabilities that you play the numbers game and look at what's most likely to happen. Um, I think we've got an incredibly good chance of coming top two. I, I still, at the moment, would, would just by a late, by a fraction back one of Barnes or Ipswich to come above us, just because I, I think their when it gets to the running, their, their squad strength will just prove that little bit too good. And that's nothing against Schumacher or the squad. I like I like I've said many times in this podcast. I think Schumacher's done absolutely brilliantly with, with such you know, limited resources to get the squad where it is. I just think when it comes to getting over the line, one of the others will just have that little bit more than us. But if we beat Derby and Barnsley, I think even if we get four points, then we become then we become reasonably firm favourites. If we beat Derby and Barnsley, we become very much favourites. Not to the point where it's impossible, not to the point where it's a formality, because improbable events do happen. That's the language of probabilities. But if we beat Barnsley and Derby, or Derby and Barnsley, to give it the correct order, we absolutely should be going up. That's my take on it. Right now, I'm less sure. I think we absolutely should be going up anyway. And I, I think I'll quibble with Aaron's wording of the question, actually. I don't think these are season-defining games. I think we've got ourselves to a place where we're five points clear um, of the playoffs uh, on equal games played with, with Ipswich. 
Um, and, and comfortably, much more comfortably ahead of those those other teams with the, with the caveat that obviously Barnsley have to play us and I, I believe still have games in hand on us. You know, the, where where we don't, these, these don't have to be season-defining games. I think we, we've played ourselves into a position where we've got a bit of a cushion given our running. Now, of course, our running is probably not go going to go according to paper exactly, but by and large, I think we've dropped points this season in games where you would look at it and go, I can kind of see why we've dropped points there. With, with, the, with the exception of like, maybe Cambridge away, Port Vale at home in that really sort of turgid run before Christmas, which I think you can explain uh, with reference to a number of factors, not least injuries and, and, and squad depth, which which don't really apply anymore. So, you know, I, I, I'm not one of those who thinks, as I've said many times on this podcast, that the Fleetwood nil-nil was an absolute disaster. Last week, while the performance was certainly an absolute disaster at Peterborough, the actual result um, is something that you could have foreseen potentially happening just because they, they sort of have crazy ups and downs as a football club in terms of how many goals they seem to score, particularly at home. We've not really been on the receiving end of that many shock results this season. Um, the Port Vale one is the only one that screams out in my head as being a huge, huge shock. You know, at a point in the season, obviously early doors, it's a little bit hard to sort of know what teams are going to end up wearing. It's all a bit of a, a crapshoot as the league kind of settles. But since the league kind of settled into a pattern in the, in the sort of early to mid-autumn, we tend to win the games that you'd expect us to win, I, I, I would say. And you look at that run-in after the next two games... And it is on paper incredibly favourable. And I don't think it's arrogant. I think, again, Sam talks about the language of probabilities to say that we will probably, based on our form uh, in, in those sorts of games over the course of the season, do enough. And so, yeah, I think it'd be fantastic to avoid defeat at a bare minimum in the next two games. Obviously, they're important. Obviously, they're against teams who are in the chasing pack. And it would be a statement um, to, to you know have, have positive results in those games. And I, and I think they could be season-defining games if we win them in the sense that if we do go up, we might look back and say, you know, that was the week we really proved our metal. But I don't think it's, I don't think that's season defining the other way. Um, we still have an absolutely fantastic chance and it will still likely be in our own hands if we lose those two games. Um, and I think that's a testament to, to how good we've been to put ourselves in that position. If you went back to, to Christmas when the relatively favourable run of fixtures that we had came to an end and we were looking ahead at games against Ipswich, Sheffield Wednesday, uh, obviously, Barnsley, Barnsley and Derby are in that run of games that we were looking at with a bit of trepidation, but I mean, I haven't played them yet. But if, you, if you'd said that basically with that run almost over, we would be in second place, five points clear of third. I'm pretty sure everyone in this in this podcast would have snapped hands off for that as an outcome. So, yeah, I think we've played ourselves into a position where they don't need to be season-defining games. But obviously, yeah, it would be, would be great to get something out of them nonetheless. I think the term season-defining is a little bit of a push. But what I will say is that... Saturday the 11th of March promises to be a huge day at the top end of League One because I'm not sure if everyone's actually checked the fixtures around the country that day. There are some monster matchups the day that we go to Barnsley. Bolton against Ipswich, I think, isn't it? I think that's one of them because I think yeah. Bolton then have to play Sheffield Wednesday the Friday after on Sky. So they've got those two in the space of six days. I've always maintained that unless you are in front of Argyle in the league table by the 18th of March, then you can kiss goodbye to any chance of getting ahead of us in the table. Um, and I stand by that. If we're still in second place by the 18th of March, then it would take a monumental drop-off for me in our performance levels, in particular at home. Um, when you look at the run of games, we've got a home after Derby um, for us to fall away. Um I think if we avoid defeat in the next two games, I would take two draws in the next two games just because then they're out of the way. 
um, then I think it's not a case of getting the bunting out and me booking that ferry for the booze cruise, but um, we will certainly be in a position where it would take a huge, huge slip up. And it's, it lets me fair. I said it weeks ago. The only team I'm worried about is Argyle. And I stand by that. I, I think it would take... I, I can certainly see a, I can certainly see a, a realistic world in which we drop points away from home by drawing games rather than winning them in that run in against teams that we'd be maybe hoping to beat. I, I can see that. And I and maybe an Ipswich or a Barnsley, and I think they're probably really the only two in the conversation at this point for automatics beyond us and Sheffield Wednesday. Maybe one of those teams wins literally every single week. Um and then sort of goes on Sheffield Wednesday type form. In which case, yeah, we could have a problem. But in that case, you're just looking at an awful, awful number of points being needed to finish second, which would be, for the second year in a row for us, very unlucky in terms of not not you know finishing on the right side of the line with a huge total. I think we are going to get a huge total. There is not a lot of evidence of Lowe and Schumacher era Argyle choking. In fact, I'd argue there's really no evidence. The, the manner of the defeat to MK Dons on the final day of last season was choky, I would say, but they came down like a team possessed, and I think they were going to win that football match against us one way or another, whether it was 2-1 or 5-0. So apart from that, as I've said before, I think on this podcast and certainly said to members of this this podcast, if not actually on the on the airwaves, I don't buy the idea that we choked last season on the whole. I think that we just got very unlucky with the way the fixtures fell and we had very difficult games at the end of the season against teams who over the course of the whole season, we just didn't do well enough against to get into the playoffs. And I don't think that was a bottle job. I think that was just the fixtures falling at a bad time and us performing about par and getting about the par result in those fixtures that you would have expected at any point in the, in that season based on our results against that type of side. This season, we have a really good run in on paper. I was looking at it the day the fixtures came out when I did not expect us to be in the top two conversation really at all, but did expect us to be in the playoff conversation. I looked at the fixtures and thought, based on where I think those teams that we're playing in the run-in are likely to finish, that is a huge, huge opportunity if we can still be in the conversation going into those games. And I think that's still the case. I don't think this is a team where there's a presumption that there's going to be a big mentality issue or that we're going to run out of legs. Uh, two things, coincidentally, which Sam asserted with absolute confidence before the game yesterday, which he predicted we would lose. Um, and, and it turned out yesterday that neither mentality nor energy were remotely a problem in a game that we won very comfortably off the back of a very poor performance. That has been the case over and over again this season. I think it was the case over and over again last season. I think we obviously had that very big drop-off in in that season under low in, in League One when uh, it was the COVID season, but I wouldn't attribute that necessarily to uh, you know a choking mentality as much as I think we, we felt we were safe and the season was over and maybe some players thought they were on the beach. Um, Although they weren't on the beach due to COVID regulations, they, they weren't allowed to be. But yeah, I just think probabilistically we're going to do really well in that run-in. And I'd be very surprised if we don't. And if we do do very well in that run-in, as Joe said, that'll probably be enough. And if it isn't, it's because another team below us has had an absolutely monster run of winning almost every week, which we can't control. And and also I just don't think is likely based on the way those teams have played over the course of the season. Um, there's this sort of an Ipswich revival narrative as, we, as we're recording this pod, just based on them hammering and then scraping past three of the worst teams in the league, arguably the three worst teams in the league. And one of those was a 1-0 victory at MK Dons, where they had a really, really lucky moment where the ball kind of cannoned off post-bar their keeper. Could easily have not got anything out of that game. So, obviously, yeah, they do have a lot of quality in their squad, as Sam, I think, has said to me privately. Obviously, that could that could spur them on a bit of momentum to do better in big games. But 
I'm not I'm not going to worry yet about about that Ipswich side winning every week between now and the end of the season based on three gimme games against absolutely rubbish teams. I think there's been so much energy poured into worrying about teams in the chasing pack beating, you know, Cambridge, Cheltenham, Burton 5-0 at home, which 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 is not the type of result that we tend to put together against those sides. I think we just need to stop worrying about that and look at how those teams perform in the bigger games where over the course of the season we've consistently got more points than them. That's what's going to be decisive come the end of the season. Does not matter if we win one nil two one every week. I just I just think the balance of probability is that we probably do it. And I don't think that the next two games are, you know, lose those and it's all over, or win those and it's sorted. Um I think it will it will come down to that run in. So that that gives me a bit more calmness about this week, although I'm still quite nervous. Obviously you touched on it about twenty minutes ago, John, the, the Port Vale at home game. Um, 46 points we've picked up from a possible 51 at home park this season ahead of Connor Hurahan's derby and their trip down to Devon on Tuesday. Um, they come they come in fifth after a two-all draw with Shrewsbury at the weekend. Um, I was going to ask you your thoughts on that one, but you, you've already summed those up in quite a lengthy uh, review. But um, yes, Joe? Uh, I've got an idea of how Tuesday night might play out if you're interested, if you want to hear my theory. I'm very um, interested. Because uh, I distinctly remember Paul Warns Rotherham coming down last year. And we were in good nick at the time. And they were, I think at the time, they weren't going through a great patch. I think that was their little, perhaps it was their little wobble, or maybe I've got that wrong. Um, and we should have been. I think, I think it was a bit before their wobble, if memory if memory serves correctly. I think it was a little. I don't think it was peak wobble for them. I think that came a bit later, but I, got, I also could be wrong. Yeah, I I can't quite remember where their blip featured um, in and around our game. But what I do remember from the day is that we should have been about six nil up by the time that they had their first real effort on goal, um, and Matt Smith buried it, and they defended for their lives, and they saw off Mike, a one 0 win. Said. Michael Smith, Matt's brother. You're gonna you're gonna, gonna criticise Aaron for making errors, factual errors, and it's it is pretty much a pre pre pod script. I've got to call you up on that. To be fair, I I do apologise. I do apologise. Michael Smith buried it, not to be mistaken by Matt Smith. A little sorry, just quickly, a little trivia for the pod. What is Matt Smith, the Salford striker's first name, short for? Matthias. It's Matthew or something, isn't it? Like that. Matthew, fifty years. Yeah, like half French or something. We definitely like a bit of sulfur trivia on this pod. Excuse me, host. Can I get back to my theory about the Derby game? And I just wonder whether Paul Warren's going to set his Derby side up in a very similar fashion, where I'm not necessarily saying they're going to sit back in a low block and expect to hit us on one counter-attack or something, but I just wonder if we might see a little bit more of the game than perhaps we expect on Tuesday night. And it will actually perhaps come down to whether or not we've got the edge up front to actually be clinical enough um, against, let's be fair, a a very interestingly constructed Derby side. Um, You know, you look through the list of players in that squad list and it's staggering how some of them are playing in League One. And I just want it recorded before I'm paparazzied or something in the stands on Tuesday night. I will be very emotional seeing Connor Hurahan play on the home park pitch, not in a green and white shirt. I am not prepared for what we're about to witness on Tuesday night. How have, how has this been allowed to happen? I, I don't get it. 
I'm sure John's got a rant up his sleeve about Derby because I've heard it many times privately. So I feel our listeners can hear John's rant about Derby County. Is this about the fact they've not suffered enough? Ah, uh, look, uh, I, I won't because confirm I agree. I agree I they've not suffered enough. I won't confirm or deny having used those words in in private contexts. Um, what I will say is I have I have no uh, dislike for Derby, a club that um, members of my father's side of my family support. Uh, I my roots are in the Derby area, although I was born in born in Plymouth. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think I have question marks about how they were allowed to go from the verge of bankruptcy to buying, trying to buy League One, and I'm glad that it hasn't seemingly worked for them. Um, I think it's absolutely ridiculous that they have the resources to convince the likes of David McGoldrick to play um, in, in the... Depth is their big issue, though, isn't it? They, I think, didn't I hear something that they've used the fewest number of players in the division than any other team this year? I might be wrong on that as well, like I was with Matt and Michael Smith, but I'm sure that's a stat I heard. No, I, I I think Joe is actually Joe is right on that one. They 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 they've got a, they've got a really good first eleven and not a whole lot of depth. I I think. That... Um, I want to be clear that any any comments made by me in uh, frustrated moments where Derby might have stolen the march on us in in previous weekends. Um, you obviously, you know, don't don't like to see football fans going through their club being horribly managed, but their club was horribly managed. Um, obviously, they did have consequences in the championship in terms of points deductions, but I do think there's a broader issue with fairness, even in even in the lower leagues. Um, and it's not just Derby. You know, obviously, other clubs around us have much greater resources than we have that they that they have ploughed into their playing squads. I think it's actually good for football that we're up there, to be honest, um, and that we're showing that you can be competitive. Not obviously with anywhere near the worst budget in the league, but not with a bevy of former Premier League players who are still arguably in not quite past the, the primes of their career. Um, what I would say about Derby is the recent form isn't actually that good. I think that they've padded it out again, as I sort of mentioned with Ipswich, by beating the likes of Morecambe, Cheltenham, whatever, very convincingly at home. But, you know, they're not great away from home. Um, they're obviously, they're a very good side with very good players, as we've just mentioned, but they're clearly underperforming the level that they that they could be at. Um, I think if they're still in this league next season, I would firmly expect them to be in, in, in Sheffield Wednesday this season territory where maybe it did take them a you know a season to stabilise a little bit, even with investment in the squad after going through a very difficult financial period and a relegation. Um but yeah, um, you know, I think that this season, for whatever reason they are, they are performing not at the level you'd expect based on the on the playing staff that they have, depth or not. Um and so, yeah. And so, for me, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a team that we need to be scared of, particularly with our home form and their away form. Obviously, yeah, we need to respect them, but I, again, I would love to see Shuey attack them and try and make them play to our style of football rather than sort of doing a overthinky team selection. But uh, that's a different conversation, I guess. But yes, would like to clarify that just as, just as Sam doesn't think Argyle fans are stupid, I, I don't wish uh, Derby fans poorly. I'd just like to clarify that for the record. Going back on what I said as well, I, I don't think the club have suffered enough. I think the fans have, but the club haven't. But anyway, the return fixture saw the emergence of two things. One, Sam Cosgrove and uh, Stephen Schumacher's shutting up the haters or whatever it was line from his uh, press conference. And the other was also online was Curtis Davis's salty tears. And I can't wait to finish above him. So as long as we finish above him, Curtis Davis, who has only ever finished below Plumavaga once in his career as the tweet went, we'll finish below twice, which will be nice. 
Well, on the subject of salty tears, I thought we were going to do a bit on the Charlton manager's comments as well. Yes, we were, and I skipped that question. Let's go back to that. Fair, there's a good segue of um, clubs that have seen happier days here, so I'd maybe just keep it at this point of the conversation. Talking about clubs that have seen happier days, <laughs> I jokingly referred to it in the opening, but the post-match interviews of both managers seem to have some bite to them. Obviously, we've already spoken about Schumacher's, but... Uh, Joe, shall I let you round about Dean Holden? Oh, Dean Holden, yes, the the tactical mastermind that is Dean Holden, who's achieved such a great amount in his managerial career, hasn't he? Um, and he can come out with such outlandish. Dean Texas Holden. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I I think he might look back on his comments with a little bit of regret on Monday morning. Um, I don't get it. What other than a ridiculously oversized stadium for where the football club is now with also finding themselves in a city with about 700 football clubs and not playing in the top flight for nearly 20 years where they punched above their weight massively for the time that they were in the top flight um, and a few cup successes in bygone years. Why on earth do Charlton have a God-given right to be playing in the Championship? Can someone just explain that to me? They found, similar to Sheffield Wednesday, similar to Ipswich, similar to Derby County, similar to all these big, big clubs who have found themselves in League One, they have found themselves in League One for no one's fault other than their own. Not the supporters, it's not the fans, it's the people who make decisions at these football clubs. And until the people who are employed by these football clubs get it through their minds that it's the, their own people's fault that they're playing at this level against little old Argo, then they're going to struggle to get very far in their careers, I'm afraid. And I'd also say for somebody who isn't actually sure of his future beyond this season, it was quite a strange take from Dean Holden to come out with a comment like that. Um, because there would be certain employers who perhaps wouldn't look like, wouldn't take favourably to a manager coming out with such bad P- PR um, in the press. Um, but I would also caveat what I'm saying with the fact that I re- it really annoys me when Argyle Twitter bites so easily to what people say about yeah, Argyle. You haven't, you, haven't, you haven't just bitten on Dean Holden's comments, have you, Joe? No, but this is a culmination of things. It 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 stems from many managers from many eras. Um, but it's all the time, you know. People post the slightest thing on Twitter, and Argyle Twitter just swarms on them. Um, the Morgan Whitaker situation was one of which I was very strong in leading the anti-Swansea charge. I must accept. Um, but there's just so many things like when people do those stupid ranking ladders. I know they've resurfaced again over the weekend. And it's just <laughs> pathetic. It's just pathetic, isn't it? Get a life. Go back to play. That, we always seem to we always seem to come out quite high on those from other clubs. I, I don't know why. Maybe they just don't see us a threat. That's because they know if they put us low down, all they're going to get is bloody Argo muppets in their mentions. I I, just... I I agree with Joe on 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 Dean Holden. I think look, he's obviously trying to. G up his team and G up his fans and create a bit of a siege mentality and and yeah, good luck to him in a way. But ultimately, it's, it's not very professional, is it? It's not really Sam, good. Sam, he should be doing that on the pitch, not at the I side of the agree. pitch at the end. Not at the side of the pitch at the end of the day when they've been battered out of sight. He came out and said they had a couple of big chances at nil nil. 
Where? Like, they just didn't. They just factually did not have a couple of big chances. What, you know, that's just what a, game, yeah. What game I was would, he watching? I would simply refer Dean Holden to the a the league table and b the uh, away attendance on Saturday uh, if he thinks they're such a big club. Um, look, I think while while we're having this kind of like self indulgence, uh, self indulgent grievance marathon, I no, will hang just on, say, hang on, hang on. I'm going to jump in there. The the prosecution's going to jump in here. Oh, it's geez. not it's not self indulgence at all. It's just being realistic and trying to get it. Well, I'm, about to, I'm about to join in with it, Joe. So I'm about to join in with it. So I'm, I'm guilty of the self indulgence as much as anyone. I, but I, I reject think... the notion of self indulgence. <laughs> okay. Um. I think no self indulgence in prison. Of course. I think. Um. I think that there are a number of pundits and kind of establishmentarian lower league voices who seem to be absolutely furious that we're doing as well as we are for whatever reason be that because we're bucking their precious data um or because simply they think we're a small club did and you, we should pipe down and let Ipswich Sheffield Wednesday you, Derby etc fight out at the top of the league um did I you notice to- John did you notice people were very quick to jump on the 5-2 last week in certain quarters yeah. and talk about how it's expected and it's been coming for ages because the data doesn't match up it's all a load yeah. of tosh I mean, if we I had Ben Reeves sat me playing Will Anderson, John, we might be doing a little bit better now, according to some lower league funders. Yeah, I, I, no, I don't know. I don't know who. I don't know what we're referring to here, and I don't know if we're referring to a, uh, you know, a pair of podcast um, hosts who may or may not have been in, whose, whose previous predictions for our, our successful lack thereof may have been included in certain promotional materials uh, distributed by Plymouth Argyle Football Club. Um, I don't know if we're referring to them, and I don't know if we're referring to to one of them. Gleefully saying that we would There's finish, other podcasts. Uh, gleefully saying that we would finish playoffs at best um, after after the Peterborough game. Playoffs at best. And we might not even make that. They'll, okay, still, get, they'll still get invited onto Sky if lower league experts, though, so it's okay. I, look, I, I I don't, you know, these particular individuals, I don't necessarily want to completely slate them. I, they've been, they have in other occasions been nice about us, or at least one of them has. And, um, uh, and, and like, I think that they, you know, have some good points, whatever, yada, yada, yada. But I, but I do think that it's, it's you know, it's, it's it's that, I can't remember what tabloid newspaper it appeared in, but there was a spread earlier in the season saying which of these big boys is, is ready to come back. It focused on the League One promotion race that completely ignored the fact that we were top of the league. We just weren't mentioned in it. Um, you know, I don't know. Shuey probably is too sensible to listen to any of this bullshit. If it were me, I'd have that taped to the inside of the dressing room door for the remainder of the season. On the one hand, let people continue to write us off and let them fume when we go up and, and say that we don't deserve it. I have no doubt if we are in the championship next year, certain podcast hosts in there. It's on certain highly rated, highly listened to uh, 1 to 24 podcast prediction shows, um, we'll have us 24th next season uh, if we are in the championship. And maybe they'll be right. But we just seem to get written off over and over again by certain people. And I'd love to show them. I would love it. Love it if we showed them. So there we go. That's my self-indulgent rant about about the way we're perceived. He's very salty tonight, isn't he? A, a Dean Holden kind of mood. Are we likely to see Cozzy start on Tuesday? Uh, Lee on Twitter asks, will Shuey fool us all and keep an unchanged side against Derby after Saturday's win? What are we thinking ahead of the Rams? That would be just quickly the most Shuey galaxy brain thing ever is actually to not change his team. <laughs> Although I think... I think I think there will certainly be at least one change because I don't think Brendan Galloway is managing um, two games in in that quick succession. But anyway, yeah, I I don't think Cosgrove will start. I think that um, he'll be again a super sub uh, to bring on uh, because I think it's be very harsh to drop Hardy after that game. And if you are going to drop him to anyone or to rotate him for anyone, it would be Ennis 
Um, I think so. Yeah, Cosgrove to be a superstar. I could see Ennis starting. Or do we go back to the the front two that worked quite well for a few games? Obviously, maybe not a posh, but you know, to break down that derby, maybe not. No, I think I think I think we go three four three with with Azaz and Mary beside the middle striker again. I think that in the in the you know it doesn't work well in the away games, but in the home games against the big teams, that formation has done the job. It did the job in the Ipswich home game and the Wednesday home game. Um, and Bolton, Barnsley, and Peterborough we all beat at home playing that formation. So I would stick with that formation and I would stick with Hardy, but I could see the case for Ennis. Nice. We wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised to see Dan Scar involved, but that's my tuppence thrown in. Do we, do we know that he's back to me? Obviously, we see that Randall's out for another three weeks. I don't actually click on Club of Life because uh, the pop ups just get to me and I can't. He isn't it. far away, is what we were told. He was on the grass <clears throat> back, excuse me, back under last week and over the weekend. And, and, Connor, just... and Connor Grant as well, believe it or Ooh. not. But yeah. The lesser spotted Grant. But yeah, Dan Scar isn't far away. So if it isn't Tuesday, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Saturday. I, but by the way, the absolute most chewy roulette thing, there is one game, but it probably won't be Tuesday, but one game, and I reckon it'll be Forest Green home, is after not bringing the squad at all, he's going to randomly bring in Conor Grant to start at left wing back. That's the chewy roulette thing that will definitely happen this season. I, I think it will be quite soon. It'll be Conor Grant back in centre mid with Saxon Early and Mikel Miller with Adam Parkson at the back. Uh, Scar, the, Wayne, the Wayne train up front. Yeah, Endicott gets a gets a run out in a 10 position. Freddie Asaka in there as well. Yeah, why not? Like, If we're, if we're up by Forest Green, just do it anyway. Be a laugh. I'll be very surprised if we're up by Forest so Green. Forest Green is two games away, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even I'm not that partisan. Yeah, I did. I did think. I did think it'd be a madness if we get up before then. Obviously, post Derby, then we're off to South Yorkshire as we play the Tykes, aka Barnsley, who are currently second in the League One form table, just behind our friends in Sheffield. Uh, for context, Derby sit thirteenth. Uh, do we think we have enough to bring home the three points? Who wants to preview this one? Joe, I know you're a big fan of Michael Duff. I am. Um, yes, I don't know how you know that, but I am a I am a fan of Michael Duff. You tweet an awful lot. Yeah, I like Michael Duff. I think he did a marvellous job at Cheltenham, and I think he's doing a sterling job after a slow start at Barnsley. Um, I'm looking forward to this one. It's a, a rare occasion I get to see the Greens on the road. Um, and I also get to spend a, a weekend in Chesterfield. What more could you want? But yes, it's... It, up the shares. Up the shares. Um yeah, lovely Tesco's, interestingly, at Chesterfield. Massive Tesco. Interesting fact that nobody cares about. It's where I had my first ever Krispy Kreme because they had a massive stand. This was before they had like these like in-mall stands. Huge, and I was blown away. That was the game where Guy Branston scored no goal. Guy Branston? It would have been Guy Branston. But yes, back to Michael Duff. I think this is going to be a tough afternoon. Um, I think they were very authoritative when they put four past uh, Derby, who by the time that we get there, we may or may not have put four past Derby. I think you can expect a large home crowd for this one. They're going to be bang up for it. I just think we've got to go here. And I think it's a little bit regardless of what happens on Tuesday night. We've just got to go there and play our normal game. If we win Tuesday, draw, lose, whatever, just take this as the very next game on the on the fixture list, which it is. Um, they've got some very good threats and attack. 
But like so many teams, we have already beaten them. So why should we fear them? We're, we're, there, we're the ones who are in the um, advantageous position. They're the ones who've got to come after us. Um, I think this, like the Derby game, might actually just play into our hands a little bit, which would be an absolute joy. Because although I like Michael Duff, it would be nice to do the double over him this season. Yeah, I can't really say any more than that. It'll be a tough game, but one that we're capable of winning. Um, I would go. I think I would go back to three five two for that game, just because I think it will help us control the midfield a bit more. But I would absolutely have Mare in the midfield three, and yeah, we'll see how that goes. I think we'll lose, um, but that it won't define our season. That's not very positive. Well, I just you, you ask you ask me you ask me. I think it's going to go. I think it. You know they're gonna they're gonna cover us like the wind and give us a really really tough afternoon. And they're incredibly good at home. They're a really good side. We are going to lose some games between now and the end of the season, almost certainly. I think that will be one of them. Um, I agree that we're going to lose. I agree that we're going to lose one of the next two, but I feel like we'll we'll actually slip up against Derby and then beat Barnsley. But oh, I'm I'm not going to go next Saturday now that John said that. It's put me all in on a downer for it. I was really looking forward to my weekend up in Chesterfield, but I feel all miserable now. Go to the Tesco's. Don't go to the game. But if we do get a point at Barnsley, every little helps. That's brilliant. No, I said. No, I look, I, I don't know. I think, like, as I said earlier in the pod, I don't think it needs to define our season, what happens in the next two games. And I therefore don't actually feel too uncomfortable about saying we'll lose at Barnsley. But I think we, if, if I'm a betting man, that's where my money's going. Oh, well. Sorry. Another, we- another week in podcast jail for you. And I'm looking forward to, to Macaulay Gillespie's 10th game for the club at Barnsley away. Macaulay Gillespie, 1-0. First goal scorer. Happy days. No, but let's be fair. Just backtrack into the start of the pod. It ain't going to come from a set piece, is it? Because we didn't touch on it earlier, but we were woefully ineffective from them again this weekend. So that is something yeah. we're really going to have to go back to doing better. It's also not going to come from a set piece from Barnsley either, because they've only scored one goal from a set piece all season and no penalties. According to FopMob, so that's uh, that's two two with all four goals from corners then. I'll take it. <laughs> and th- and there's definitely going to be a penalty awarded to the home side. We know that. No match fixing going on here. Yeah, I think that wraps it up nicely. Unless you've got anything to add there, Sam. Oh yeah, it was just saying that as good as Vaz was, the set pieces were poor, and I think we do miss Randall on set pieces. But that's yeah. By the by, was it Azaz that got the, the winner against Barnsley at home? It was Azaz, wasn't it? It was. It was indeed on his debut. Before we go off, I want to leave everyone with the, another further piece of Salford striker Mattia Smith trivia, because I was just moved to Wikipedia to make sure I wasn't getting it wrong earlier. Uh, his half-brother, Jean-Francois, is a former professional basketball player in the French Pro A-League. And uh, does anyone know who Matt Smith's father-in-law is? Absolutely not. Michel Roux? It is, <laughs> uh, it is Steve Bruce. No, oh, oh, yeah, of course that's why it he is. signed for Salford, right? Like, did, wasn't he at West Brom for no? I'm sorry, Steve Bruce. Signed I think there was something to do something. with something to do with Bruce in there. So yes, that that denizen of French culture, uh, Steve. There we go. You learn something new every day. I think we'll leave that there. Thanks, Aaron. See you next week. Cool, good. See you. With that, brings a close to another Green and White Pod brought to you by Argyle Life. Be sure to follow us on Twitter. Like on Facebook and keep up to date with all things Argyle by checking out www.argyle.life. 
as always with all listens old and new we really appreciate if you could leave a review on spotify or apple podcasts or wherever you found us every rating helps us beat that algorithm see you next week days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.